Today we shall continue with our wisdom series of Satya Dhamma talks and Satya the talk will be in particular on one aspect of wisdom, namely the knowledge of the arising and passing away of formations. And tomorrow we shall then continue with our Satipatthana series and explore Vedana and Upasana Satipatthana, namely the mindful contemplation of feelings. Now, to start with an illustration. A mountaineer who is uh, ascending Mount Everest from the Nepalese site will have to do several days of uh, uh, longer marches until he or she reaches the so-called base camp. And then from there onwards, again, it takes several more, it may take several more days to reach the next larger camp. And it is this middle camp that interests us in particular, namely because after several days of ascending Mount Everest, it serves as a good place to, well, refresh oneself and then to enjoy the fantastic scenic view and then to drink some fresh water and and then also to get a good night's rest. And from there onwards, it will be the final ascent, which eventually reaches Mount Everest itself, the peak of Mount Everest. Now, likewise, for our Vipassana meditators who are, well, working very hard to ascend Mount Nibbana, and on the way to Mount Nibbana, well, we have a base camp, and we also have some camp in between, halfway uh, in about halfway in between, and so yeah, so having uh, covered already the first uh, few phases of one's uh, vipassana practice, and uh, uh, having had uh, well some uh, or encountered some difficulties along the way, it uh, is. Um, the, you know, the station in between is more than welcome. And so the insight knowledge that we're going to discuss today is just this, namely a pad or a camp somewhere in between. It's not yet the 
uh, final, it does not represent uh, you know, the final goal, nor uh, is it certainly still uh, at the very you know, beginning. Now, the Pali you know, technical term for you know, this particular uh, insight knowledge is uh, you know, that of udaya beya jnana, jnana meaning knowledge, and udaya beya is uh, a word uh, that consists of four uh, parts, namely ud and aya and bia and aya. Now, the prefix ud means uh, out and out in an upward uh, direction, out of or forth, such as can be found in the Nepali verb umujati, which means to rise up and out of. Uh, for instance, uh, water. And uh, the uh, second part, aya, uh, can be derived from uh, the verb uh, to go, which in Pali uh, boils down to just uh, e or i. And then, so to go, the, uh, the combination of these first two parts uh, then means to go, out in and in an upward direction, or you know, to kind of rise up. And then the second part consists of bia and aya, and the bia is a form of the prefix v, which means asunder, denoting disturbance, separation, destruction. And certainly the ayah is the same as before, namely it can be derived from the verb uh, to go in Pali, simply given as e, the root of it is e. And um, hence, nabeya then means to go, to go down. And when we combine these four parts, then the meaning of the word, of the Pani word, udiya beya, is the increase and decrease, or the rise and fall, or birth and death, up and down, or simply arising and passing away. Arising and passing away of formations connected with the five aggregates. Now, this particular uh, insight knowledge, as uh, you have uh, heard already, uh, consists of two parts, uh, namely an, a tender face and then a matured face. And we have uh, already discussed uh, the tender face of uh, the fourth insight knowledge, uh, which covers mostly the ten imperfections of uh, insight. And once a meditator has overcome uh, these ten imperfections of insight and is no longer under their sway, then usually the mature phase of uh, the fourth insight knowledge uh, sets in. And uh, it is marked uh, by 
and equanimity towards certain formations and in particular towards certain the imperfections of insight. There's no more any major craving for these experiences nor any development of pride or arising of pride and conceit nor of the arising of wrong view. Now, during the preceding phase of the meditation practice, some amount of pondering was there, but now during this phase, it is no longer the case, and a meditator can clearly observe the beginning and the ending of every predominant object. And there are some, well, unique features that characterize this particular insight knowledge. One of them is that a physical or mental object, as it arises, does not get ready to arise. It does not prepare to arise, but rather, and it's not waiting there to arise, but simply it's rather suddenly, rather instantaneously, it just arises. And then when it passes away, it does so quickly without lingering on for any longer period of time. So it's not going to any other place nor gathering somewhere else, gathering new force. So what we have is that mostly formations during this particular phase in the practice suddenly do they arise and suddenly do they disappear. And so in the Burmese language, this particular characteristic of this phase of the meditation practice is known as ku pie. And ku stands for aku. Aku means now. Pite means becoming or arising. So now arising. And then ku again means now. And pite means being destroyed or disappearing. So now arising, now disappearing. And basically what happens during the mature phase of the fourth insight knowledge that one object gives rise to the next one. And so one new object occurs after another. And this matured phase of the fourth insight knowledge also marks the beginning of the sixth purification, namely of the purification by knowledge and vision of the way in the Pani scripture language known as Patipada Jnana Dasana Visuddhi, which then extends all the way up to the knowledge of conformity Anuloma Jnana.
However, it does not certainly as yet certainly cover uh, the realization of uh, uh, the noble uh, truth. Now, in the path of discrimination, the Patisambhida Magga, which is certainly standard work for the meditation practice, we find an interesting definition for this certain particular insight knowledge, where it's where it is said, the wisdom in contemplating the change of present phenomena is the knowledge of contemplation of the arising and passing away of formations. And this definition we can find in the first chapter of the Path of Purification, the chapter that is on wisdom, many the many aspects of wisdom. Now, the interesting part is the wisdom in contemplating the change of present phenomena. Now, the change here means, you know, obviously, you know, that certain formations keep uh, well changing, and so, you know, they're in a state of you know, flux, and you know, this refers you know, to you know, this you know, to the impermanent nature of formations, in particular of having a beginning and of having an end. And then it says there, the change of present phenomena. And it doesn't say there the change of past phenomena. Now, during the preceding insight knowledge, namely the knowledge of clicker of comprehension, samasana jnana, there was some direct observation uh, involved, but also based on this, a lot of inferential knowledge, namely coming to the conclusion that as one is presently experiencing the three universal characteristics of impermanence, anicca of unsatisfactoriness, dukkha, and of non-self, anatta, as this is happening right now in the present moment, so too it must have happened in the past and it will most likely also happen in uh, the future. So, you know, the third insight knowledge to some extent is characterized you know, by, um, well, inferential knowledge you know, regarding you know, the past and you know, future. But not so... Uh, for uh, this matured uh, face of the uh, fourth uh, insight knowledge, which uh, uh, is about the presently arising and presently uh, passing away uh, formations. So the mind is certainly then very much concentrated on what is happening right now. Now, when we look at the meditation practice under you know, the aspect of time and the ability of the mind to tune into the present moment, then we find at the very outset of our meditation practice, the mind is hardly in the present moment. It goes sometimes into the future, sometimes into the past, and it's hardly ever in the present moment. And if so, only for a few moments, and then it goes off somewhere else. 
Now, this over time then changes, and during our matured phase of the you know, fourth insight knowledge, the mind is pretty much uh, in the present, or relatively uh, in the present moment. This becomes uh, um, only better you know, during the 11th insight knowledge, namely the knowledge of equanimity bound formations, where the mind is even more you know, focused and tuned into the present moment. And a meditator will you know, then clearly you know, see how you new know, formations are occurring at such a great certain speed. And this also requires a certain quality of mindfulness. Now, early on, at the very outset of the meditation practice, the mindfulness itself was somewhat discontinuous, kind of an on and off affair, sometimes present, at other times not. And so back then, it was difficult to maintain uh, this certain continuous mindfulness over a longer period of time. The same thing you know, goes more or less for the second insight knowledge. And uh, you know, then in the third insight knowledge, the uh, mindfulness becomes somewhat certain you know, panoramic. So while focusing one's attention on one you know, particular main object, the mind is, uh, you know, the observing mind is uh, seemingly simultaneously aware of a number of other objects. Now, during the matured phase of the fourth insight knowledge, we find that the mindfulness itself becomes very sharp and also very quick and dynamic, and it's Without any major difficulty, it falls straight away onto the predominant object. And in this context, previously aiming was required for the mind to really fall onto an object. At this point, it's not really needed anymore. So the mind is already well-trained and easily does the mindfulness fall onto the predominant object of observation. Now, during this particular phase, in order to perceive the characteristic of impermanence, well, the passing away of formations is certainly necessary, needs to be seen. But the passing away of a formation is possible only if a formation has arisen. So during this particular insight knowledge, these two aspects, uh, the arising as well as the you know, passing away, uh, are or coming to the foreground, whereas the middle phase you know, some becomes somewhat uh, insignificant. And so usually in terms of time, it's uh, rather uh, short in uh, duration.
Now, during the third insight knowledge, the three universal characteristics are, are arise for the first time in one's meditation practice. And then during the tender phase of the fourth insight knowledge, they are somewhat there, but mostly overshadowed by the imperfections of insight. Now, with this matured phase of the fourth insight knowledge, the three universal characteristics come into the foreground. And a meditator then clearly understands um, that which is impermanent as well as the characteristic of impermanence. And so a meditator further understands that which is uh, unsatisfactory and the characteristic of unsatisfactoriness and likewise that which is uh, or which lacks a self and the characteristic of uh, non-self. Now, the things that are impermanent, that are unsatisfactory and uh, lacking a self are the formations of uh, the five aggregates. And the characteristic of uh, impermanence is uh, that of uh, the arising and passing away of formations, whereas the characteristic of unsatisfactoriness is that formations are oppressed, continually oppressed by this arising passing of new formations. And the characteristic of anatta is that formations are not susceptible, susceptible to or not suddenly governed or not under one's own um, wishes or things are not happening according you know, to one's wishes and desires are not happening or um, happening of their own accord. Now, these certain uh, three universal characteristics uh, need to be seen and understood again and again and only then can one's meditation progress. Now, this to some meditators may seem like an unnecessary well, hardship, yet it is a prerequisite to move on. Uh, in one's uh, practice. And so actually, as a matter of fact, uh, there are many interesting you know, things to be discovered you know, within you know, this matured uh, phase of the you know, fourth uh, insight uh, knowledge. But more on this uh, later on. Now, in praise, of uh, you know, this uh, insight knowledge uh, you know, the Buddha you know, has said, as is uh, you know, recorded in Dhammapada verse uh, 373. So the bhikkhu, or you know, the bhikkhuni, the meditator, 
who goes into seclusion to meditate, whose mind is tranquil, who clearly perceives the Dhamma, experiences a joy which transcends that of ordinary men and women. And so, when one when one sees the Dhamma clearly, then this is set with reference to clearly seeing the arising passing of formations, well, a certain joy arises. And this joy, it is said, is by far greater than any kind of joy that we might gain through the indulgence in essential pleasures. So it is a joy that is born out of the meditation practice. Now, When we meditate on these, or when we observe whatever predominant phenomenon arises, then, well, we might sometimes see a phenomenon in the light of impermanence, at other times in the light of unsatisfactoriness, and again at other times in the light of non-self. But before we can see like this, we have to well put away with certain factors that cover up those three universal characteristics. So the characteristic of impermanence is said to be covered up by continuity. And the explanation for this is when observing an object like the rising and falling movement of uh, the abdomen, usually uh, one uh, sees it as one predominant, uh, as one continuous uh, object. However, upon closer observation, a meditator uh, might certainly find uh, that actually it consists of a number, varying number of uh, segments. And each of those segments then tends to arise and pass away. And so that's what covers up the characteristic of unsatisfactoriness is or is a frequent change of postures. And so by changing our posture, we kind of try to escape from the unsatisfactoriness inherent in the body. And by distracting ourselves, we also try to get away from the mental suffering or unsatisfactoriness. However, when a meditator and sits for a longer period of time, and this is quite uh, common during this uh, phase in the meditation, uh, an hour and a half, sometimes two hours, sometimes even more than this at a stretch without changing one's posture, then uh, the dukkha, the unsatisfactoriness, becomes uh, very uh, obvious. And when a meditator... Uh, observes an object and certainly clearly analyzes or sees it in uh, the light of 
foot, you know, the, uh, well, four primary elements, uh, then um, its compactness will you know, fall apart and uh, non-self, the characteristic of non-self becomes uh, obvious. Now, when observing one you know, rising movement, one might certainly find uh, that it consists of certain several segments, as mentioned a few moments ago. Now, the number of those segments may vary. And so at times we may find uh, that certain, you know, the rising consists of uh, anything you know, from you know, maybe you know, six certain segments upwards. Um, so you know, six to ten, sometimes even more. And those segments you know, tend you know, to arise and pass away you know, quickly. So there are many of them, and relatively many of them, and uh, you know, each and every one doesn't last uh, very long. Then we may find at other times that you know, the same rising and falling consists of less segments and the rising and falling plus the segments involved tend to be somewhat forceful, somewhat unpleasant. Now, this then well represents a different uh, characteristic or shows you know, that a different characteristic uh, is uh, at uh, work. And then again, we uh, might uh, find that uh, when observing the rising and falling, it is segmented, but uh, there is uh, a lesser number of those segments around. So maybe just two or three. And usually uh, those are uh, happening uh, rather you know, slowly and certainly uh, they're not certainly necessarily you know, forceful or unpleasant or uh, painful. So within, uh, within arising and falling, there are further you know, details certain to be you know, distinguished. So um, when, you, when segments occur, you know, then maybe once in a while, you know, check uh, you know, the number of those check, you know, segments, check the speed you know, of you know, those segments, the speed, the frequency, and you know, then also you know, their you know, nature, whether they're you know, more on the pleasant side or you know, unpleasant side. And so all of... Uh, you know, these aspects uh, then you know, might uh, give you a further clue about what is happening in your meditation practice. Now, during this phase in one's meditation, one, you know, one's knowledge may become very you know, sharp and a meditator may see an object break up into many tiny little parts or particles, and uh, each of those uh, you know, particles might be uh, even seen as quickly arising and uh, passing away. And the amazing thing is that the mind is sharp enough 
to well pick up all of these certain details. Now the Abhidhamma says that any predominant certain physical and or mental object can be characterized by three things, namely that it has a beginning, upada in the Pali language, a beginning and arising. Uh, or birth or genesis, and then each object, each conditioned certain object has a middle, you know, so during which an object persists. This in Pali is known as titi, and so, you know, then each object also has a dissolution phase or an ending phase, the so-called you know, death of an object, which in the Pali scriptural language is known as banga. Now, out of you know, those you know, three, um, you know, three phases of an object, you know, a meditator during the fourth, you know, during the matured you know, uh, stage of, uh, or phase of the fourth insight knowledge, experiences typically you know, the you know, arising phase and the beginning phase. So the beginning and uh, the ending uh, phase. Whereas the middle phase tends to be less predominant and also, as mentioned earlier on, it would be rather short, difficult to perceive. Now, during this particular phase in one's certain meditation practice, some of the four aspects of the compactness of an object tends to break up. The fourfold compactness was mentioned already in one of the preceding Dhamma talks, namely compactness as a continuity, santati gana in the Pali scripture language, then compactness as a masa muhagana, then compactness as a function, kichagana, and then finally compactness as an object, aramna gana. And so it is you know, during this certain you know, phase in the you know, meditation practice uh, that uh, at least uh, you know, in some ways the compactness of an object uh, tends to you know, disintegrate. And so an object that so previously you know, seemed rather solid, rather compact, now uh, it's certain you know, seen as certain you know, breaking up. And with this also comes certain you know, the breaking up of concepts such as the you know, shape or form or contour or outline of uh, you know, the body. Now, during the you know, very beginning of uh, one's meditation practice, when you know, sitting you know, there with eyes closed, one had a clear notion or sense of uh, the shape or form of uh, you know, the body, the outline of uh, the body. However, over time, this changes and then tends to 
uh, break up uh, to uh, some uh, extent, and in particular during uh, this matured phase of uh, the fourth uh, insight knowledge. So sometimes you know, meditators you know, come to interview and so, you know, they're you know, somewhat sort of anxious about what's happening, somewhat worried about the, the, their meditation you know, experiences. You know, in particular, when um, the body seems, you know, the body shape or form seems to be no longer you know, discernible. And so, so the impression you know, then is uh, or arises that something is uh, wrong with the you know, practice. Previously, I could see you know, the individual body parts or the entire body clearly. Now I can no longer you know, do so. So something must be wrong. But in effect, no, there's absolutely nothing no, wrong here. No, this is uh, no, part of the meditation no, process and so, a certain transition takes place uh, from conceptual reality no, to ultimate reality. So seeing the no, shape or form of the body is actually seeing a concept. And uh, so the mind is still operating in, on, on an, you know, operating by using you know, concepts. Later on, you know, these concepts fall away and you know, then attention is only on ultimate reality, namely you know, sensations and objects as they truly you know, exist. To an extent you know, that a meditator no longer uh, is in a position to actually uh, locate uh, the individual object. So an object, uh, one no longer knows whether an object is occurring in the right leg or left leg or you know, somewhere in you know, the upper part of uh, the body. And when this process takes place, then one should simply focus on the predominant sensation, even if one cannot locate it properly. Now, the Visuddhi Maga has given a couple of illustrations for the tender face in one's meditation, in the tender face of the fourth insight knowledge. And it says with regard to the short-lived nature of phenomena that they are like dew drops at sunrise. So as the sun is rising, gradually it gets warmer into the dew drops that form during the night. They then evaporate in the heat. And another very homely illustration for what happens during this phase in the practice is... Um, well, drawing a line on water. So when you draw a line of water, you know, this line is not going to last for you know, very long. So no longer has one drawn the line, then uh, it will you know, disappear again. And 
The Visuddhi Maga also you know, proposes another illustration for you know, what is happening during this phase in the practice, namely that the ob- objects or formations are occurring so quickly uh, that uh, you know, they uh, you know, resemble you know, well, a flash of uh, lightning. And in terms of the corelessness of uh, experiences, the illustration given is uh, that of a wheel of whirling firebrand. And uh, when you uh, turn this wheel quite quickly, then the the impression of a circle of fire uh, arises when in fact there are just uh, a few fires there um, located on uh, that wheel. And the core of it, uh, and there's uh, in, in in the end, there is no you know, core you know, to you know, the whole you know, thing. Now, another interesting you know, phenomenon or characteristic of uh, this fourth insight knowledge is uh, that uh, formations uh, tend to arise in one spot and uh, then disappear in the same spot. So uh, this uh, then uh, differs greatly from uh, what happens uh, prior to this phase in one's uh, meditation practice, namely where objects tended to arise in one spot then move around, spread, spread out, and then disappear in a different spot. Another rather characterizing feature is that objects tend to occur in a linear fashion and not overlapping. Earlier on, objects had an, a nature of, or a tendency of uh, overlapping. So while one object, one first object is uh, going on, a second uh, more predominant object arises, draws uh, the attention, and uh, um, so the attention then moves to the second object while the first object is still going on. Objects are hence uh, overlapping. So just these two aspects are very telling about what is happening in one's meditation practice. And also another feature is that the occurrence of one object is one thing and the occurrence of the next object is another thing, so is a different event, and they are not related. Now, the Venerable Mahasi side of Myanmar in his book on the Enlightenment factors, Bojanga, uh, on the Bojangas, you know, points out, even though the uh, well, the seed 
for the uh, enlightenment factors is already you know, present in the stream of consciousness and even before one undertakes the meditation practice or at the you know, very outset yet the, the enlightenment factors tend to come you know, into you know, the foreground you know, for you know, the first you know, time during you know, this fourth insight knowledge. And, so, and then over time, you know, gradually they develop further, and in particular during the 10th and 11th insight knowledge will those enlightenment factors you know, become uh, even more you know, prominent. And um, this certain fourth insight knowledge is usually characterized by you know, plenty of uh, energy you know, to an extent uh, you know, that a meditator you know, may go on practicing you know, through the day and certainly sometimes even you know, through the night without uh, resting. Now, it is said that a meditator who now, practices and gains uh, now, this now, particular insight uh, now, knowledge if he or she continues to practice under a competent uh, now, teacher uh, then uh, now, the meditator is bound you know, and if the controlling faculties are present and well developed then this meditator is bound you know, to gain uh, well you know, the path of stream entry. Now, partly uh, owing to you know, the you know, presence of the enlightenment factors you know, comes or, or you know, um, occurs another you know, interesting new feature. Namely, meditators find that the purification of the mind you know, then has an effect on uh, one's uh, blood, namely, it uh, leads to, to the purification of one's blood. And uh, there is even a scriptural uh, reference for this uh, in the commentaries. And um, as this uh, purified blood uh, then uh, permeates uh, the entire body, it usually leads to a sharpening of uh, one's uh, sense door, so of the eyesight, the hearing, the, the smelling, and so on. And the purification of one's blood then also contributes for some meditators to the overcoming of some chronic illness. And the same feature may you know, take place at a later point in one's meditation practice, in particular you know, during the you know, phase of you know, strong equanimity uh, towards certain formations. Now, during uh, this fourth insight uh, knowledge, a meditator has to be uh, very careful uh, not uh, to, um, uh, well, uh, stop within. And by stopping within, 
is meant a stagnation uh, in one's certain meditation practice. This in the Pali language is known as ajatam santita. And so it easily uh, happens. And it happens because, uh, well, these uh, wonderful imperfections of insight arise and there's also the sharpness of one's mindfulness and so on. And so meditator feels quite happy with his or her meditation practice and can't get enough of it. So wants to relish it more, wants to relish these wonderful experiences more and more. And this then leads to a slowing down of one's practice or even to a total stagnation. Now, furthermore, meditators certainly frequently find that that there's a certain concurrence between the observation of an object and or the arising of an object and the observation of it. So no longer that a, a particular object has arisen, the mindfulness will be right there. And so if then some other predominant object arises, then the mindfulness will be right with that next object. Now, the dissolution, the arising of the dissolution of formations is seen primarily with regard to the rising and falling movement of the abdomen and then by extension later on also with regard to many other predominant objects. So it could be seen with regard to some pain or with regard to the seeing process or the hearing process and even with regard to mental states. Now, during this certain phase of one's meditation, a meditator usually, subjectively, feels that he or she is doing well, excellent practice, and this subjective evaluation has or is based on different aspects, namely that, for one thing, the perception of uh, one's rising and falling movement of the abdomen or any other predominant object tends to be clear, if not even very clear or crystal clear. And on top of this, a number of, uh, well, fascinating mental states certainly may arise, such as clarity of mind certainly will be there and certainly a certain degree of mental purity will also be there. Plus, the mindfulness, as we've discussed already, tends to be rather sharp and rather quick. And usually during this phase, a meditator takes much interest 
in what is uh, happening. Now, in terms of uh, you know, the sitting you know, posture, you know, we you know, find that, you know, that, or one can you know, observe uh, that an, a meditator who is experiencing you know, this uh, fourth insight knowledge usually you know, can sit uh, you know, for a longer period of time you know, with a you know, rather upright you know, posture, and you know, the posture you know, will also be you know, quite uh, relaxed. And uh, early on in the practice, it was uh, not necessarily the case. And uh, later on in the practice, uh, it uh, again will not necessarily be uh, the case. Now, um, people who are uh, having a hard time with wandering mind, you know, there's good news for them you know, when reaching this particular phase in the meditation practice. Well, you know, the wandering no longer that you no know, wandering mind has occurred you know, right then and there will you know, the mindfulness be with the wandering mind and you know, then catch it quickly and you know, dispel it on the spot. Sometimes to you know, point you know, where um, just the very beginning of wandering mind is uh, you know, already you know, being attended, mindfully attended uh, you know, to. And so as a result of you know, this wandering mind, you know, barely, barely has it arisen, you know, will it you know, then uh, disappear. Now, let me conclude you know, today's you know, Dhamma talk by you know, wishing that, or you know, by you know, rephrasing, one of the Dhammapada verses, which says, well, better than hundreds of years in the life of a person who has not seen the arising and passing away of formations is just one single day in the life of a person who sees the fast arising passing away of the formations related to the five aggregates. This then gives you an idea of the importance of gaining this insight knowledge. So may it uh, arise in your meditation practice if uh, you know, this has not you know, taken uh, place uh, so far. And uh, may this uh, particular insight knowledge you know, then kind of uh, uh, represent uh, you know, the um, beginning on you know, the high road you know, towards, uh, you know, well, you know, the, the final goal, you know, which consists of uh, the peace of Nibbana. And may it lead you all the way you know, to that very piece of Nibbana. And this is it for today.
Now, as usual, we have uh, time for you know, some questions and uh, the answers. Do you? Is there anything you want to clarify? Yes, Lisa. By me. Well, you know who I'm trying, I'm trying you know, to you know, well schedule the Dhamma talks in uh, in a way you know that's uh, for you know, most meditators, it is uh, already old Dhamma, you know, something that they've experienced already, and uh, they're already beyond it. Uh, but I'm fully aware that you know, this cannot be done you know, for uh, all uh, meditators. And, uh, well, the amazing part, uh, though, is that even though one may have, uh, one may hear a talk on you know, something that one hasn't uh, experienced yet, um, some meditators will, or you know, even with this uh, extra additional knowledge from, you know, from the Dhamma talks, some meditators still you know, find it difficult you know, to get a particular insight knowledge right. And uh, to you know, experience it uh, you know, compre- well in a comprehensive manner. So uh, overall, uh, it's not uh, not that bad. Oh well, you might uh, do that. Um, so for you know, for the next few days, you know, the talks will be on other things. It's not that you need to be somewhere, you know, somewhere else. Um, see, you know, for the talks here, you know, for you know, this retreat, uh, the intention was to combine two things, namely the um, the satipatthana, so the establishments of uh, mindfulness, and uh, then uh, in conjunction with uh, you know, those uh, insight uh, knowledges, and so, uh, so I really do not uh, mean to you know, exert any uh, unnecessary you know, pressure. On uh, on your practice, and um, wanting to 
you know, convey both of you know, these, uh, well, you know, simply necessitates you know, to present the talks in a certain sequential order. There's just no way around it. You know. And so, so um, just, uh, you know, oh, just take that certain sense of, uh, of pressure and, and let, it, uh, let it be and don't, uh, don't worry about it. Just do your practice and that's all. Uh, And so then there's uh, still another uh, another aspect. I see. Oh, time is precious, no, and especially on on retreat. And um, there, there's different ways of doing doing a retreat. We might so just do a retreat to, you know, in a in a casual manner, and what we'll get uh, is casual results. And so there is uh, another way of you know, doing a retreat, which is uh, more uh, more intensive, and so and certainly so this then will automatically. You know, bring about uh, uh, well the uh, uh, the passing through you know, different uh, insight knowledges, and so, you know, so when I explain on these uh, insight knowledges, uh, then it is you know, with an uh, with a goal or with an intention you know, to uh, support or to help the meditators understand what is happening. So to some. Um, you may perceive it as you know, well putting pressure um, on on your practice, but to others, it certainly comes as a confirmation. Oh, what I've experienced uh, you know, maybe a few days back was you know, just what uh, has been explained in the Dhamma talk, and so uh, then um, and then you know there is uh, from this comes a sense of uh, well-being uh, on track. And uh, I could, uh, if you like to, I can give uh, very general Dhamma talks. There's no problem. And, uh, I can give talks on, on uh, general topics like patience and, uh, and whatnot. Yes.
and it's beneficial to me, which I appreciate right now. And it's, and it's made, seems to have made a difference in my understanding about the body in the past year or two. Uh, but what I, what I have found is that a certain level of comfort has come, which has allowed me to relax into the body and in, in ways that I haven't been able to do in the past. There, I, I'm just astonished at how uptight my body apparently has been probably all of my life. But there seems to be some notion of what should be going on in the body and how the body should be structured and informed and an effort to keep it in that place. And I find myself hugely, deeply resistant to change. What, I, what has been happening is that I can enter the body now and, and, and not see change as some demon or something that's threatening. Uh, what, what can happen as one is more conscious of what one eats, which I have been, you become far more sensitive to the sensitive to what is taken into the body, both the amount of food and the quality of food. And with the introduction of some of these uh, drugs, which doctors have prescribed to me specifically for the relief of intense pain after a knee operation and, and, re, and the restless leg syndrome that I had mentioned to you. What I do find uh, it is that I, there's a sense of something breaking down in terms of my understanding of physicality as opposed to even mentality. That's not real clear to me now. And that's okay because it seems to me that there's not the dramatic difference that I had seemed to bring to it. And just kind of relaxing with the flow of that uh, seems somehow seem to be happening more naturally. And intuitively, I can sense when in the past I would have brought some kind of will to holding on to a body as I understood it or trying to make a body right as I understood it should be made right and just not having the fear of change anymore, just letting that happen on its own terms. I'm not claiming any, any, any Nibbana experience here at all, but I am saying that there's much, much more peaceful ease and much, much more of a relaxation within something that is truly new to me. I hope you can Uh, well, they're not all a gym. 
The problem with the you know, prescription drugs or recreational drugs um, is uh, that they tend to have you know, side effects and uh, you know, that they you know, tend to um, may even lead to a certain addiction. And so, um, when, when you meditate, you know, then you learn over time you know, to well, purify the mind and so, you know, then uh, also you know, hold more and more, as more and more wholesome mental states arise, you know, well, you know, these then uh, contribute to a relaxation of uh, both of the mind as well as uh, you know, the body. And then you, know, you might find that you don't need those uh, uh, prescribed drugs anymore. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, then with uh, prescribed as well as uh, no, whole recreational drugs, you know, there is another you know, major problem, you know, namely you know, they you know, change the you know, patterns of the mind and uh, um, oh, like people who've uh, taken drugs for a you know, longer you know, period of time uh, are known you know, to have you know, difficulties with concentrating or con- difficulties concentrating. And so you know, these uh, things then in the meditation practice come up and so, um, it become, they become obvious. And so, you know, this so, you know, in itself uh, may uh, create a lot of uh, uh, well, frustration in the long run. You know, so uh, it's best not to, to tamper with the mind too much. Well, there's uh, there's certainly even these days, you know, scientific research uh, that uh, is showing, you know, through the practice of uh, mindfulness meditation, the relapse rate for clinical depression has been cut into half, and uh, this is not taking any any medication. And uh, no. so that then you know, shows you, you know, well, the power, you know, uh, you know the power of you know, meditation over you know, over the mind. And uh, no. so on the one hand side, you know, you're you know, quoting you know, certain well you know, certain drugs like serotonin. Uh, surely those uh, you know, will work, but uh, you know, oh, the meditation you know, will. Also, or the meditation has a tremendous potential, and uh, uh, there are usually no no side effects there. 
Once in Lumbini, we had uh, we had a meditator from uh, Eastern Germany, and uh, she had suffered from tremendous uh, depression and um, seasonal uh, seasonal depression, and um, she was prescribed all sorts of drugs and. Uh, uh, as part of uh, you know, the, the health system, and you know, when you know, reading up on the whole thing and so, you know, the you know, the impact of it, you know, she you know, then decided not to uh, or to you know, well reject uh, all those uh, you know, drugs, and so, uh, then instead she designed her own you know, way of you know, dealing with it. And so, you know, part of it uh, was, uh, you know, well, uh, after, not right away, but uh, after some time, uh, meditation practice at uh, you know, the center in Lumbini. And so, you know, so she did a few hours of uh, uh, medit- formal sitting meditation and uh, you know, formal walking meditation. And then on top of this, uh, you know, a physical activity like chopping wood, you know, we never got that much wood chopped in in a very period, you know, short period of time, and so, you know, the the woman changed tremendously you know, you know, during that um, during her stay of maybe six weeks or so. You know, it helped her to uh, overcome you know, the depression. Uh, well, oh, um, at least the you know, recreational drugs uh, uh, stay away from those. Uh, no. Okay. Anything else? Yes. Usually they occur in a sequential manner, although um, between the third and the fourth uh, insight knowledge, uh, there's uh, some amount of uh, uh, fluctuation there. Sometimes uh, uh, the practice uh, moves ahead, and then uh, if if one's mindfulness is not all that continuous, then it might uh, drop back a little bit, and then one has to... Uh, then kind of pick it up again. 
No, so that you know, that does happen. But you know, once uh, one you know, once the you know, fourth insight knowledge is firmly gained, uh, then usually uh, it moves on. You know, it moves on from there. Unless one stops the retreat and uh, uh, goes back home. Yes, Stan. Oh well, um, if um, you're not quite certainly clear about a particular experience, you know, then one way of um, proceeding is that uh, you simply you, know, you simply wait, and uh, if the same experience uh, occurs again a second time, or you know, a third time. Uh, or even uh, more frequently, you know, then it's an indication you know, that you know, this is you know, really uh, maybe you know, the next you know, or the new you know, new development in your in your meditation. Does this answer your question? Yeah. yeah. No, this is very difficult. Yeah. It's very, no, no, very difficult, especially you know, if one is uh, no, not certainly so familiar with, uh, you know, with the practice. And uh, um, as uh, as I've mentioned in one of uh, our previous question and answer session, there are many you know, many experiences that seem somewhat similar, you know, but are not necessarily. And so, so it's easy for a meditator to you know, mistake certain experiences. And usually what meditators do is you know, they overestimate uh, you know, their own practice. Uh, no. Or well, what uh, what you could or what one could do is, yeah. And teachers usually don't uh, don't say where you know, where meditators practice is at, and uh, so uh, one way you know, one way of uh, at least 
uh, getting a rough idea is, you know, after a retreat, what you could do is, you know, well, uh, then if you're really interested to, you know, to, to find out, you know, then you can read the relevant texts and you know, see you know, what certainly makes most sense and you know, also you know, um, you know, we'll go through your own meditation experiences or what you've written down and uh, uh, you know, and s see the structure there. Mm. Uh, on one's own is difficult, and uh, um, when one does a longer, you know, a longer retreat, you know, then um, uh, well, you know, there's more you know, more exposure you know, to all of you know, these different you know, phases in you know, in one's meditation practice, and uh, um, and and then gradually, you know, the structure becomes clear. And then gradually one gets the idea how you know things are unfolding, and, and then um, it starts making sense. I haven't even heard the eleven stages to experience. Uh, it's it's not um, easy to find um, uh, having it explained in an articulate English. So, uh, and I I was always under the um, impression that there are only what nine things. Eleven and so on. I, you know, it, it doesn't even know what to do with the um, besides it's, it's so far ahead that it, it doesn't make sense. But those mm. Well, one, uh, one more aspect in this uh, connection is um, when. When hearing talks on you know, these uh, insight knowledges, it becomes pretty obvious that the practice is not happening in a haphazard manner, not unfolding in a haphazard manner, but rather in a, you know, in a very systematic manner and you know, pretty much you know, governed you know, by, um, well, you know, or by, uh, in a causal way. One, you know, one face leading to the next. And so this in itself, then, at least to some meditators, may come as a great source of confirmation. In particular, if previously, previously one wasn't clear about what is happening. Okay, maybe you know, this much you know, for you know, tonight. And Can I ask one question? Yes. Um, it seems to me that uh, <clears throat> the, the Dhamma talks are describing uh, a, a series of steps. The, the, the 16 insight knowledges are basically steps in the path to Nibbana. And, and, and we, will, we will pass through this retreat and maybe have an inkling of some of them. 
through our practice and during the retreat. But is it not so that if we, if we, as in other areas of life, practice makes perfect, that what we are doing, if we, if we repeat these retreats under your tutelage or that of a, another competent teacher, that we gradually um, clarify each of these steps in the path so that we repeat the exercise and it becomes clear with each repetition and stronger. Is that, is that not so? No, that's correct. That's what I said earlier on. You know, as one you know, practices more and more, you know, these uh, things then you know, become quite obvious. But, you know, I mean, it, 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 <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to dampen anyone's enthusiasm, but, uh, it, you know, it, 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 it may take a succession of those retreats. Um, well, these, <laughs> this is really... A matter of uh, no, no commitment, no commitment in the meditation practice, uh, commitment in certain uh, seriousness. No, so um, uh, there are you know, there are you know, meditators who you know, practice you know, well somewhat lightly, and so, you know, then there are others who are really um, totally you know, committed. To, to the meditation practice and as a result and practice also in a very intensive manner and as a result progress through these or go through these different phases in the meditation in a very quick manner and then it may be even within, within a month a lot is possible. Yeah, indeed. Yes, indeed. But what are those uh, qualities or, or, or foundations that the meditator needs to have established in himself or herself? Well, no, the usual, no, the usual things. Uh, first of all, you know, to be well established in sila, and uh, then, um, well, and then practice uh, the restraint of the senses. And so, you know, the, you know, to you know, pay much attention to you know, the mindfulness and in particular to you know, the continuity of it at all times during the waking hours. And so, uh, then you know, what else to um, well, keep the mind certain so, you know, pure or well, to observe whatever comes up and so, you know, then overall to. Then keep the mind as certain uh, pure as possible, and then furthermore, you know, strong, uh, well, a balanced uh, effort is helpful. The, uh, the five controlling faculties consisting of faith, of uh, uh, effort, mindfulness, concentration, and certain uh, wisdom, plus those certain uh, seven enlightenment factors, all these certain uh, things, they come together.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.